Welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation with nationally known gerontologist Carol Zernio and veteran broadcaster and attorney Ron Aaron. This program provides health, wellness, and other information for caregivers who are vital to the health and well-being of so many people across our country. Now, here are your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zernio. Well, we're delighted to welcome you to Caregiver SOS On Air, an opportunity to talk about issues that affect caregivers, their loved ones, and their extended families. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Carol Zerniel. Carol is executive director of the WellMed Charitable Foundation, past chair of the board of directors of the National Council on Aging, and she's a member of the Ray's Family Caregiver Advisory Council under the Federal Department of Health and Human Services. Carol has a master's degree in social gerontology with over 25 years experience in the field of aging and caregiving. And she is one of Next Avenue's top 50 influencers on aging. So Carol, good to see you. How are you weathering COVID? I'm happy to be here and happy that um, vaccinations have sped up. We just need a little more vaccine. (laughs) And rather than at home, you're actually in your well-met office. I am. You know, there's a few of us in the office today, which is lovely. It's always good to to see people's faces socially distanced, but um, that just, it's a sign of the times, right? One of these days. And if you open the door, open the door, you put your mask on, right? We do. Absolutely. We're very, you know, a lot of rigor in a healthcare organization with masks. Well, we're about to tackle a topic that could be a downer, but it's not. We're talking about hospice, making the most of hospice, a peaceful ritual and our guest, Beth Cavanaugh's new book, Some Light at the End. Beth Cavanaugh is our special guest, a certified hospice and palliative care nurse and educator. She has 14 years experience in caring for terminally ill patients. She's been a registered nurse for over 24 years and holds a bachelor's degree in nursing from Creighton University. And she and her husband hang out in Portland, Oregon, where they have, I like the way this is written, almost successfully finished raising their three kids. And if you want to know more about Beth, go to BethCavanaugh.com. And if you could see her, she has the best smile. Beth Cavanaugh, thanks for joining us on Caregiver SOS On Air. Thanks, Ron. Thanks, Carol. How old are your kids? Kids are 23, 21, and 16. Well, you are about almost done with successfully raising them. Yes, yes. We have about 1.5 years. (laughs) (laughs) Not that anyone's counting with the (laughs) 0.5. Looking to be an empty nester. (laughs) Yes. Well, talk to us about hospice and what attracted you to that field. Well, I'd been a nurse for a while, and um, my first role in nursing was um, in nursing homes, I worked with the Jesuit Volunteer Corps when I was 22, and I went to nursing homes and I did a lot of um, group therapy with actual licensed professionals. I wasn't the licensed professional. I was more, I would, I would go to people's rooms and bring them out to our therapy lesson or else I would, I would drive the car to go to um, Dairy Queen with all of the elderly people in the car. And I got very connected to a lot of these uh, folks. And um, I worked there for a year at these nursing homes. And, um, you know, and I was able to be with them. Um, Many of the patients died uh, 
And it was just really, it felt very important for me to be uh, part of that journey with them and uh, walk with them. And I wasn't a nurse then. Um, but I guess as I got into nursing, and again, as you said, I've been a nurse for 25 years, um, I was able to be with my mom when she died. And it was probably one of the most profound things I've ever done with my life. And um, I don't have any regrets about it. So Profound, why? Well, because, you know, it was my mom. And uh, she actually allowed me to take care of her. I didn't think that she would agree to have me be her primary caregiver, the one who uh, bathed her and got her to the toilet and um, dressed her in the morning. And she was really agreeable. I I was a nurse at the time. I'd been a nurse for about a year and a half. So I was a little green at it. But, you know, it was just kind of amazing to be able to be with her when she was so vulnerable, although she was pretty stoic. She didn't really share. She didn't really share much with me in terms of what was going on internally for her. But um, the fact that I was also there when she took her last breath, um, I felt really connected to her, you know, just being able to take care of her for the final months of her life. And then to be with her in that moment when she exited this earth. Um, I, I feel like I have a really spiritual kind of existential relationship with her. Well, you were uh, running, uh, you were running a self-run hospice in a way. <laughs> well, you know, I, I love the way that, you know, you talk about that connection because those of us who have used um, hospice and palliative services, you know, we see that in the people, a lot of the people that work in that field, but you know, for years, uh, when I would talk to caregivers, you know, people would sign up for hospice like the day before the person died or three yeah. days before the person died. Is yeah. that changing? Are we getting the word out that there's this wonderful palliative um, care and that hospice care? I know and maybe you want to talk a little bit about how those are different. Mm-hmm. I do think that, um, I think the word is out there, Carol, but I also you know, I've done a lot of family conversations with people. So when the, when the doctor says, Hey, you know, it might be time for you to think about hospice. Here's the hospice nurse. And I would walk into the room and have a family conference about hospice with the patient and the family and uh, the patient, you know, I, I'm a, I didn't really understand it at the time, but a lot of patients would decline hospice. They were not ready. They were not enthusiastic about it. They, in no matter how tenderly I tried to sell them on hospice, and when I say sell them on hospice, I just, you know, there, there's so much good that hospice can do for a patient and so much relief that it can provide for people. But, you know, when you're in, when you're in that space, and I don't know what it's like to be in that space, um, where one has a terminal diagnosis, it's really hard to get on board. So, um, so even though I think the word is out there about hospice, a lot of people know about it, but I think there's a lot of patients that just aren't quite ready for it. I, I heard the other day that maybe uh, 17 days is the average length of stay on hospice. So I do still feel like there is I know many patients who they've been told by a couple doctors that it's time for hospice. But, you know, months go by and then in the last couple of weeks, they go on to hospice because they wound up in the emergency room or, um, 
you know, they have a pain crisis or something, and then they do it and they sign on to hospice when it's a crisis moment and everybody's kind of running around trying to figure out what's happening. And then, you know, they, and then two weeks later or something like that, you know, the patient may die and, um, and it just, it feels like it's so sudden and urgent for people. So, so I do feel like people still sign up too late for hospice. Um, but I also understand how patients who are in that position aren't quite ready. She's Beth Cavanaugh. We're talking about hospice and the work she does as a registered nurse, talking about her book as well, Some Light at the End. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Carol Zerniel. You're listening to Caregiver SOS on air. And Carol, you've had experience with hospice uh, in your own personal life as well as professional. Right. You know, and I, I was, I was the 17 days sounds like such a short amount of time. And I think maybe some of the difference, my, my mother-in-law had Alzheimer's and was on hospice. My own mother had Alzheimer's and was on hospice. Mm-hmm. And this was for about a period of probably, you know, for us, it was about six months that we, that we were able to have hospice services. And that made all the difference in the world. I can understand, I, you know, I hear you talking about there are families where the person receiving the care it has a terminal diagnosis. They know everything that's going on and they may not be ready to think about hospice, mm-hmm. but, but palliative care is not hospice care. And a lot of people do confuse those. So what is the difference? Um, palliative care is medical care and it's usually kind of a team centered approach. So usually there's a physician and social work, maybe a case manager and patients can access palliative care if they have a chronic illness that needs symptom management. So if they have congestive heart failure or even cancer and they're not, they may not be ready to, you know, they're still going through treatment. Um, They're still going through curative measures for their disease process. Palliative care um, can kind of walk with them on this journey of a chronic illness and help provide better symptom management. Also, offer tons of resources and um, provide other services, like maybe, um, like I said, the social worker. So maybe it's somebody who's, you know, it's when you have a chronic illness, like COPD, a lung disease, you need oxygen tanks, you have, you know, your, your pulmonologist that you see all the time, and they're really good at helping to coordinate the care that's involved with this. I think the hardest thing with palliative care is that at least in my experience, sometimes it's not available to people because of insurance. Certain insurances will um, pay for a certain amount of palliative care. Um, so that's the only thing is, is accessing it. Um, I think if it's offered and it's available to you and you have a chronic illness, I think it's incredibly beneficial. Uh, and and that's, a, that's a great distinction because the, the symptom management, the pain management, uh, and and making decisions about what do you want to accomplish in your life? What do you want to, you know, do you want to have energy for the birthday party um, and do one thing today? Or, you know, it, do you have a busy day and you want your energy to last? I mean, you, you really are managing your symptoms and your pain so that you can participate in activities of life that are of interest to you. Exactly, Carol. Yeah. Now we're going to talk more about hospice and some of the questions one needs to ask. How do you pick a company? They're both for-profit and non-profit organizations offering hospice. How do you know who to go to? We'll find out about that as well. Beth Cavanaugh is our special guest, a registered nurse whose book is out called Some Light at the End. 
and Carol Zernil is our co-host. I'm Ron Aaron. Thank you for listening. Caregiver SOS on air. The WellMed Charitable Foundation would like to remind you it is important to stay connected while social distancing. Caregiver stress may be higher now, and specialists are available to talk with. There's no question that we are living in not normal times, but whether the new normal will be the old normal is yet to be seen. So if you are troubled, if you are feeling stressed, ask for help. Services are provided at no cost. See more at caregiversos.org. Hello. Thank you so much for joining us on Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Carol Zerniel. And we're talking with Beth Cavanaugh, making death in hospice care a peaceful ritual. Her new book, Some Light at the End, is available as well. So, Beth, I want to talk about the book a a, a little bit and tell us what it's all about and who it would, uh, from your standpoint, who should be reading it. Okay. It's um, an end-of-life guidebook for patients and their caregivers. So um, I actually wrote the book to somebody who has a terminal diagnosis because in my experience as a hospice nurse, so much of what I do is educate patients and families about what's happening to them, what's happening now, and kind of what the next step is and um, what to expect, um, how to help them manage declining energy, declining mobility, um, the inability to swallow or the difficulty with pain management. So a lot of my, my book is written, you know, I'm a hospice nurse, so uh, it's very nursey. It's not nursey in terms of uh, difficulty understanding. It's written conversationally, like I talk to my patients and families, but um, it has things like constipation, anxiety, pain management, um, delirium, uh, all those things that the the practical things that a lot of people have to deal with at home. And, you know, most people who take care of a dying loved one, they don't have training as a nurse or a CNA. And so it just offers them a little more guidance and wis- wisdom while they're taking care of their loved one at home. And um, how does one go ahead, Carol? I'm sorry. I was, I was going to say, I'm curious about the title when you say the light at the end, because you, what you've described is, very wonderful, practical things that people do need to know. But, um, you know, in your title, I hear I hear another element that's in the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it feels like it covers a lot of different territories for me. It, it's illuminating just this end-of-life process. It's providing some wisdom uh, for people what to expect. It's, I do feel like the end of life can be beautiful if you're able to actually um, kind of see a little more clearly what's actually happening. And um, you can maximize the quality of life when you know, okay, I'm, dad is now declining. He's not able to get out of bed anymore. He probably has, you know, maybe a couple of weeks left. You know, when you're, when you're actually thinking, okay, um, this might be happening in the next two weeks, people really come together. And I think a lot of times we're just in denial understandably, you know, it's a hard thing to get on board with that dad might be dying. So, um, so it is the the title is just basically kind of illuminating um, this mysterious event that occurs for everyone. And let's get practical for just a moment, because 
I think folks don't spend a lot of time until they need hospice thinking about how to find a company, how to find an organization that uh, you'll be comfortable with. What are some of the things that uh, we need to look at, Beth? Well, I mean, oftentimes when there's a hospice referral, um, that's generally how people sign on to hospice. Uh, the doctor that you're working with you will usually recommend a hospice or they'll say, here, you know, this is the hosp- hospice that's attached to our hospital system. So um, sometimes it's just easy and and it might be good enough. I think in Oregon, where I am right now, in our city, we have about 16 maybe hospices that you can choose from. Um, and everybody gets a choice in whatever hospice you want. So even though a physician will recommend one, it doesn't mean that's the one you have to have. Um, hospice is generally a Medicare benefit. But also, if you're younger than Medicare age, then you'll, and if you have insurance, then uh, private insurances offer hospice benefits as well. I think that private versus nonprofit, I would just do a little bit of research and ask uh, staff members at the hospitals, at the nursing homes, um, you know, the CNAs at the nursing homes, they are very dialed into the kind of care one receives from a hospice team. <laughs> They're like the, the secret gems in the nursing home that you can gain wisdom from. So I now would just for those, around. For, for those who don't know, what is a CNA? Oh, sorry. The certified nursing assistant, the, the aide okay. that's, you know doing all the hard work in the nursing. Doing the real work. Yeah. Well, and, and, and something that you just said, many people may not know, they may think that, that hospice only occurs either in a facility or in a home, but hospice, it can be provided in a multiple variety of places. Oh yeah. I mean, generally hospice um, comes to you wherever you are. So if you're in a foster home, a nursing home, uh, your private home, we go there. I've visited patients in boats, <laughs> RVs, huh. behind the bus, um, you know, kind of everywhere, everywhere and anywhere. Yeah. And to come back to which one you pick, not to be too uh, uh, negative about it, but uh, occasionally uh, physicians who recommend a hospice have a financial interest in that hospice. Yeah, I, I don't know about that specifically, but I think that I would do some research. I know that um, I've only worked for nonprofit hospices before, and so I don't know what it's like to work for a for-profit hospice. Right. Um, I think I would have, I have heard some some rumblings, though, where for-profit hospice, um, sometimes they may not, I would just, I would <laughs> being I don't careful know about what you say. That's I, know. Right. I, I mean, I just don't know. That's the thing. I feel like I've, I would be talking at a school, you know, if I said something bad about nonprofit hospices, because I, I simply don't know. I've never worked there before. I've heard rumblings of like, eh, um, uh, sketchy. Well, but I think that, you know, asking around and then when somebody comes to your home, they need to be a good fit. We all know yeah. if somebody comes into the home and this is not the person that you want to have or your loved one wants to have around them at end of life. Right. It's an intimate journey and they will be in your house in a, you know, when a lot of things are going on and down. So yeah, you do want it to feel like a good connection. Yeah. So you can ask, ask those questions. What is it, what do you think the, um, the, the most important uh, thing that you, if you were going to pick a few things about hospice, what would you want to communicate that people may not know unless they read your book? Mm. Well, there's, um, 
I think it's important to know that there are things that happen to somebody who's dying. They, they physically decline where they, you know, they get weaker over time and then they may need to be in a, use a walker or a wheelchair um, and then a hospital bed maybe. So, so there's this physical decline that happens. And I think just knowing that helps people to anticipate um, you know, what the needs might be. There's also this decline that happens with food and fluids. And, you know, my dad spent most of his time trying to feed my mom steak and eggs while she was dying from lung cancer. And, and you lose your appetite, you, you know, you lose your ability to swallow. So I think just knowing those things are really important in terms of where to focus your energy. <laughs> Yeah, the food one is a big issue because a lot of people, I've seen a lot of caregivers who are determined to have their loved one eat without realizing that it's not time to eat anymore. Yes. That's a good point. And we don't really do a 411 for caregivers on these issues. Maybe that's why they need your book. Well, and, I, and I'm curious, um, we, as Americans, we don't like to talk about death. We don't think about it. We don't discuss it. Um, is that still a big barrier? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, people are really afraid of dying. And I get it on some level. I've been thinking about it for a long time, though. So my husband believes he will never die. So, you know, people don't like to talk about it. That's right. And, the, and that way I think that's why, sorry, part of, part of the reason I wrote my book, this, this book is a really um, gentle, transparent you know, offering to people. It, it really approaches the subject gently. And um, there's a lot of pauses in the book. It's a color, it, it has colored sections in it. And it's really uh, beautifully written so that people can just kind of choose what they want to read about. Maybe it's constipation today. Maybe it's, you know, emotional processing tomorrow, but you can just kind of take it in bite-sized pieces. So now one of the things you write about is the speed very often at which hospice happens. Yeah, it it can just feel like it's happening in a crisis. You know, like I said in the beginning is sometimes it just nobody wants hospice until it's just a crisis. There's pain and they can't breathe very well. They end up in the ER um, and it's now now it's really time for hospice. So so there's a lot of um, scrambling because patients really do need a lot of care at home when they're dying. They need at some point they will need 24 seven care. They will need to be they will be in a hospital bed the whole time. Someone will need to help them bathe them change their diaper. Um, you know, it's really, it's a lot of physical care. And so I think if people have are ready for that, which nobody really is, but, um, it does, it does, it happens in a crisis. And a lot of times there's not enough support, you know, dialed in and ready. Well, are there met pain? You talked about pain management. Are there medications available for pain management in hospice that might not otherwise be available? Yeah, I mean, most people um, basically get a, um, it's called a comfort kit. I call it a welcome package, (laughs) welcome basket. Um, And it has, usually has morphine in it and Ativan and Haldol, which helps with um, nausea or delirium. Um, So, so there are a lot of, they have great access to medications and it's also a lot easier to get their medications. A lot of hospices um, will, they have a pharmacy that actually drives drives to their home and drops off prescriptions and stuff that they need. So it really is a nice service to have. I mean, just for ease of the pharmaceutical piece, you know. Right. 
Well, and I, I, so, you know, you've really laid out probably anybody listening has learned something about hospice, including myself, that they hadn't really thought about before or didn't know. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Now, where do we find your book? You can get it on Amazon. And uh, I also have a website, uh, bethcavanaugh.com. I have, um, you can get it through there, although I think it directs you to Amazon. Um, I have 250 copies lying on my floor. So if you want one, contact me. And um, let's see, I also have a blog on my website and that has a lot of information. I mean, kind of from my book and it's just really practical stuff. So if you're just kind of hunting around, wondering if there's something um, that you have a question to check out my blog too. We have about a minute left. What haven't we asked you that you'd like to toss in? Well, I just think it's really a powerful life event that occurs. Um, And I think if you can step towards it rather than be afraid of it, I mean, it's okay to be afraid of it, but to step towards it. um, I think that you won't have regret for helping out your loved one, for being there, for showing up. You know, it's going to be hard. It's going to be awkward. It's going to be uncomfortable because death is just, it's scary and it's unknown. But I think if you can just step towards it and take a breath, um, I think that it will be incredibly meaningful for you and your loved one. You have such a wonderful, peaceful voice. As I slip away, I wouldn't mind hearing your voice. (laughs) Give me a call. I'll be there. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us. And, uh, And we really appreciate it. This has been Caregiver SOS On Air. Thank you to our co-host, Carol Zerniel. I'm Ron Aaron. We'll talk with you again soon on Caregiver SOS On Air. You've been listening to Caregiver SOS On Air, an exclusive presentation of the WellMed Charitable Foundation. We welcome emails with suggestions and comments on this program at radio at wellmed.net. Join co-hosts Carol Zerniel and Ron Aaron next week for more on caregiving, improving the health and well-being of caregivers and their care recipients everywhere. For more on caregiving and podcasts of our programs, visit caregiversos.org.